Kutinstra. Rock in your world. On. Get ready to rock. Radio. This is a Pete Finster feature for Get Ready to Rock Radio, opening tonight's show with two tracks from the legendary Jethro Tull guitar player, Mr. Martin Lancelot Barr. And this is his wonderful version of Life is a Long Song. Martin Barr and Life is a Long Song from his brand new 50 Years of Jethro Toe album on the Store for Music label. Let's move from acoustic to electric now for my Sunday feeling. My Sunday Feeling, the opening cut from Martin Barr's brand new double album, 50 Years of Jethro Tull, on the Store for Music label. And this is the Pete Feenstra feature for Get Ready to Rock Radio, speaking to Martin Barr, legendary Jethro Tull guitar, guitarist, and the man whose riffs and chord progressions added so much to the band's music. Martin's new 50 Years of Tull retrospective features uh, his favourite songs, it's a double album including both live and studio tracks plus four new bonus tracks recorded live at the Willie Theatre in Illinois. Welcome to the show, Martin. Hi, Pete. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. First, uh, please tell everybody about um, Becca Langford, who I think sang, sang a wonderful vocal on that track. Yeah, well, Becca and Alex... Um, or Ali, as I know her, but she likes to be called Alex, uh, are two girls from Plymouth. Now, I, I met them, I've lived down near Plymouth for about 12 years, and there's an amazing music scene down here. Still is. Lakeman's part of it. There's, there's a lot of great musicians um, just sort of gigging and uh, scraping a living together, but the two girls did backing vocals on, on an earlier solo CD of mine, and that's how I met them. I, I was recommended to them. Uh, we became friends, we worked together, they've toured with us, and uh, and their voices are just, you know, world-class to me. So, uh, you know, it's a double whammy that they're great and they're friends. Yeah. <laughs> they live down the road. Excellent. Uh, of course, Plymouth being the place that you actually played at the beginning of your career at the Van Dyke Club with Jethro yeah. Tull. <laughs> a long time ago. Um, it's weird, yeah. It yeah. all ties together. Yeah, quite so. So, 50 years of Jethro Tull obviously marks the half-century anniversary of you being in the band, uh, and you spread your choices over two discs, moving from electric to acoustic. Do you have a preference for either, or is one extension an extension of the other? Yeah, I, I like both, and I like the contrast, and that was, Tull was quite famous for... Uh, mixing acoustic quiet moments with a loud electric it, it was it took a while for audiences to accept them and they had to go quiet to listen yeah. but it worked you know against all the odds and, and I've always you know I've loved the songs I love playing acoustic guitar 
with my own material as well. So yeah, they, they live side by side, and and, and, I, and I love that Excellent. dynamic contrast. Um, let me throw a quote at you, which is this. Uh, uh, I've always watched a massive, a massive number of guitar players follow the mainstream. And I've never seen the point of doing that. So did you always find enough then in Ian Anderson's songs and the band's arrangements to explore your own niche and style? Yeah, it, it, we traditionally sat in a room to learn the music and, and, and the way Ian brought songs to the band was in a very basic um, basic way, a, a, a very basic framework. We had a lot to build on, which was great. It meant that you know I could invent my own guitar parts, add ideas, as did the other guys in the band. And yeah. it, it was a true band in every, in every respect. You know, we, we arranged everything, we produced everything. You know, we, we wrote bits in in different amounts. So it, I had a lot of freedom, great. and I've always enjoyed that freedom. Great stuff. Now, you've, you've reinvented uh, or, or reimagined my Sunday feeling uh, as a kind of a cool shuffle blues into jazz arrangement. Um, were all the new arrangements uh, on this record all newly conceived with the album particularly in mind, or, or do some of them go back some time? Um, they were all rearranged, the ones that, that were, for, for on stage, because I, I just... Uh, wanted to play the songs live, yeah. But some some of them didn't need changing, you know, that didn't need touching. Others I just had a bit of fun with, and and in, in many ways, you know, when people have heard a track in a, a certain way for 40, 45, 50 years, <laughs> uh, made that they they like to hear a different take on it, and hopefully the song's still there. It's very recognisable, but it's just a slightly different take on it, and and I, and I like doing that. I, I I like people to think that they've they've heard something different, something new, something fresh, and they can tell that you know a lot of thought and effort's been put into what we do. Now, the the stand up album was your recording uh, debut with with Jethro Tull, mm. um, and you said at the time that you were terrified because the album was a change in direction for the band. So, at that point, were you simply playing parts at the time, then? Um, no, we'd written everything. Uh, uh, Christmas 1968, we, we, we learned all that stand-up material oh. in, in a rehearsal room, and, and then we took it on the road. In, in England, we played a, about maybe four, five, six gigs, and, and people didn't like it. You know, that they, they wanted Mick Abrams' blues version of Jethro Tell and they, they didn't like the new music very much but they slowly yeah. turned around and the, the, the first gig where the audience really reacted positively was up in Manchester and, and it was a big relief for me because yeah. I was the new boy and for Ian because it was his new music and uh, you know we, we, it was a turning point it, it was where Jethro Tell got accepted as a very original band you, you kind of already answered this, but in an interview dating back to 1970, a long time ago, you described that album as as being a tense album, uh, and actually the press contrasted that with the more laid-back feel of benefit. But my question yeah. is, by tense, did you mean that uh, you were laying down the backing tracks in a kind of studied fashion then, so Ian could add his vocals and flute later? Is that what happened? No, I, I think the only tension was the fact that, that it was... You know, my first album with Toll, it was a, a vital yeah. album. 
probably more so looking back than it was at the time. But uh, I, I was just really—I I really wanted to, to to make it work well. Yeah. I want to be successful musically. It, it, it was fun to make. It really was. Um, so the stress was more internal and just wanting to do the best job possible and you know to to get things rolling. Thinking about the new album. Uh, but still delving back into stand-up, did you ever think about including songs like We Used To Know on this album? Because apart from it being an early fan favourite, it was also notorious, of course, for the uh, Eagles Hotel California connection, the solo of which seems to have been <laughs> influenced a lot by it. Oh, yeah, We Used To Know. Uh, yeah, you know, but, but there's a lot of tracks I could play, um, and, I, and I look at them all. But that they, they've got to inspire me as much as I need to inspire the track. So it, it's uh, there's a like a big box of ideas yeah. somewhere near me now, and and I, and I occasionally delve into the, the box. But the, the important thing is I change the show all the time. You know? right. I, I don't I don't want to go back to a town with the same show that. that um, from, from the year before, everything's got to be new and fresh. And that's why I did that album, completely re-recorded all those tracks, because I, I, I really didn't want a 50-year anniversary just to be a token gesture where you sort of throw a load of tracks together, put it in a pretty packaging, and hope everybody's going to think that's really meaningful. Uh, I wanted it to be really fresh. I think... Um Finishing up on that, I think, you know, the thing about We Used To Know was at the time it was this kind of, uh, it was a, it was the wah-wah thing. It was just so yeah. fresh and new at the time, but I suppose 50 years on it probably doesn't sound as exciting. <laughs> but, it, but anyway, there we are, you've answered that. And, uh, and of course, you've got a different selection of tracks and live in New York as well, haven't you? Yeah, but we, we were on tour and... Um, you know, the, the whole idea of, of doing a 50-year celebration came up, I mean, obviously a year after the 50-year the anniversary of Death Row Tull as a band. And I thought, well, you know, nothing much had happened yeah. in, in that 50th year. I, I think the fans deserve and probably want something a, a bit a bit more meaningful. Um, so so I, I had a, all, an idea of how to do it and what to do. And we had three days off in um, New York State, and we just went to this rehearsal room studio and, right. and it was all live. Right. So even, the, even the vocals were, were recorded live. Okay, time for another track, and this mirrors the uh, new album sequence, and in fact, the second track. This is for a thousand mothers. Martin Barr and 4,000 Mothers from the 50 Years of Jethro Tull album on the store for music label. Um, on the original cut of that song, Martin, whose idea was it for Clive to come back in on the drums at the end? <laughs> you know, I've never been asked that question. Uh -huh. I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to I ask really you. don't know. Yeah. I'd have to ask Clive. I mean, it was I such find... a dynamic thing to do, I think. You know, it's, it's fabulous because even now, when we play it, the audience forget that it's coming, 
So and, and I, I just love that moment of where they clap at the, at the full sending. Let me start again. It's, it's a yeah. But I, I really do not remember. Okay, no problem. Um, there's also two guitar lines on there, something that has become a feature of this album, um, whether it's lead and rhythm or the dual harmony guitars. It's something I also noticed on the Road Less Travelled album. Well, when did you first get into that then? Uh, well, I think because when I started in the Martin Bar band, uh, and I, we were doing Jethro's whole material, obviously there were no keyboards uh, and, and no flute, so I, I needed the second guitar to take some of those parts. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and I found that with two guitars, you can play a keyboard um, part perfectly well. So, it, it, uh, you know, it, sonically it works really well. That Dan's a good guitar player and uh, enjoys playing and it, it, and it gives us that sort of um, uh, working together, you know, there's yeah. interaction on stage with two guitars. I know it's been done before and a lot of people do, but uh, I love harmonies uh, and, I, and I love the fact that you, you have to make an arrangement from just two instruments. Yes, quite so. Now, when you joined the band, did uh, Ian discuss his musical vision for the band with you? The fact that he wanted to explore new horizons and not just be another blues band? Uh, no, he didn't. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe he was experimenting, uh, and he, he, I think he wasn't convinced that it would work until that gig in Manchester. Right. Um, no, uh, Ian's always kept himself to himself and. You know, even in the latter years, I, I never heard the lyrics and, until I got a copy of the CD. Really? Final, yeah. So, you know, it was all built from the ground upwards, and there was never that end product. Um, but building, so, building from the ground upwards, does that mean you were kind of ex expanding your blues and folk influences that were already there in the band? Yeah, you know, the people joined the band, Dave Pegg brought folk influences, yeah. David Palmer brought classical. It, we, we were just looking for ideas and inspiration from any any corner of music and bringing them together. Right. Uh, I want to go back to kind of early 1969 and your first American tour. Was it difficult to make the transition then from playing UK clubs such as the Nottingham Boat Club, the Toby Jog and the Van Dyke Club that we mentioned earlier on, to playing the Fillmore East and the Fillmore West and what have you, or were you cushioned by the fact that you were a support band on that tour? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, they were intimidating, <laughs> exciting, uh, fantastic. But the nice thing about it was we're all together. It was a, a new experience for all of us. Yes. So it wasn't like joining a band that had already gone to that level. Right. And, and that's why I, I feel a real strong part of the heritage of, of the band. Uh, I, I will always regret that I wasn't there from the inception because that's a, just a slightly different um, feel you know, to, on, on a yeah. band. But yeah, we, we, we were learning our game we were um, discovering new places and, and taking music to a, a bigger level, bigger audiences. It was it was just incredible, really exciting. Well, one of the reasons I asked that question was I had um, Kim Simmons on the show a few weeks back from Savoy Brown, and he he made a point that you know he learnt very very quickly that uh, having 
been on the same club circuit that you were in, in the UK, when he ended up playing these great barns of places in the States, he had to do more than just play guitar, he had to fill the space, <laughs> put on a show in effect. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's what evolved from Jeth for Jethro Tull. We, we, uh, yeah, we, we wanted to entertain people and, and we saw a lot of pompous rock bands and, and prancing about on stage. And we, we sort of took the mickey out of those bands by being the opposite, making, uh, you know, making a joke of what we did, keeping the music serious, but, you know, l making ourselves, laughing at ourselves. Yeah, and, yeah. It just sort of went from there. So thinking back to the new project, having established your own solo career with something like nine albums, was it strange going back to some of the old Toll material then and realising just how far you've come since then? Yeah, it, it, it feels natural. And, and, and I, I, I listened to the early songs and, and I recognised how I did them, how I felt about them. It's just been a continuous process, but... You know, the, 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 I enjoy what I did, even in the early days. You know, help, hopefully I've made it a little, more, little bit more refined. But um, it's always been with me. You know, I, I can probably play most Toll songs. Um, somebody just asking me to do it right now. Right. I'm not going to do it. Uh -huh. but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, because my, my brain's full of all that music. Okay. And it's ingrained. All right, I want to play um, what I consider one of the highlights of the new record. Originally it was on Aqualon. This is Hymn 43. Oh,
43 from 50 Years of Jethro Tull to be found on the Store for Music label. Another great uh, arrangement, different version of a, an early Tull classic and uh, as I said a real highlight and you, your guitar kind of takes the place of piano and flute on the original and uh, it's arguably one of Dan Crisp's very best vocals on the album I think. Would you, would you agree with that? Oh, well, I'm pleased you say it, but, you know, I'm a big fan of Dan, and, uh, you know, he, he he takes to Toll's music like a fish to water, and yeah. he's trying to replace Ian or replicate him. I mean, I, I've known Dan before we'd even heard of Jethro Tull. Wow. We'd do little gigs down here in the southwest, and his voice was the same. It, it's really matured. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I... I, I enjoyed Dan's performance. Excellent. Um, you've described the Aqualung sessions as being stressful and apparently you weren't getting on all that well together at the time. Were you then surprised by the critical praise at the time and your role in that in particular? Yeah, we, we, we never expected it to be a, a, a popular album because we had a, a real tough time. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't, it was a quite a negative emotion going on in the studio but you know I contrast it to albums where we just had the best time ever uh, locked ourselves away for two months and made uh, just had a load of fun and nobody liked the album wow. you know under wraps people don't like it but we had the best time recording oh, it nice. um, so you know but maybe out that stress comes something different something special yeah um, but it was a it was a, a, a never planned to okay. be an album and and of course it was a monster really important to us yeah. um, now Ian Anderson described the opening riff to Aqualung and I quote as wondering what Beethoven would have written if he'd had a Gibson Les Paul uh, did he throw that down to you as a challenge then for you to run with uh, in, uh, not in those words certainly uh, now that you know he wrote the riff and uh, but from there on, you know, I was the only one that played it. Yes, Ian just played acoustic, uh -huh. um, and then you know we, we I arranged the solo, which is sort of based on the song anyway. Yeah, um, there's a, there was a a lot of freedom to to put ideas into into the songs, but it it, it just evolved. Right. It wasn't a special song particularly. It was just another song. On, oh, on that album, even though it was a title track, but we didn't know what was going to happen with it. Right. <laughs> now, you, you've announced that you hope to play the whole of Aqualung in 2021 to tie in with another 50th anniversary there. Will you mm. then be rearranging some of that material too? Um, 
I've done a bit already. I've, I've got a um, in my guard where there's a flute solo. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously a little bit of a problem for me. Yeah. I'm not going to do a guitar solo, and I'm not going to play flute. So uh, I, I found a piece of music I love. Uh, Palladio by uh, Carl Jenkins, huh. and, and and I've recorded it. It's up on YouTube, but um, we're gonna we'll, that that will be the My God solo. It just sort of goes to this ensemble piece of music. It's, it's quite heavy, um, right? But yeah, well, I, I'm not sure what we'll do. I, I don't want to think too much about no, it. No, no, no. It's, it's too far down the line. Okay. Twenty one is a dream. Okay, let's um, meanwhile play another track from Martin Barr, and this is a song for Jeffrey. Martin Barr and a song for Jeffrey from the 50 Years of Jethro Tull album. Um, that checks another great example of your arranging ability and the fact that you, again you replaced the flute with guitar. Did you ever think then there was a, a time when the flute played too much of a part in Tull's material? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry about that question. That's a fabulous question. <laughs> uh, yes, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Right, right. Uh, the, no, we 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 had a great understanding in the band. Everybody had more than enough to do. Yeah. There, there, there were never complaints about not having enough uh, space on stage. Okay. Yeah, I mean it changed because in the latter days, with Ian's voice having a, a you know a few problems, that there was more instrumental music. Um, it, and, and we stopped doing the early songs, which were more guitar orientated. So it, it, it did change. But I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to sit in the background and play rhythm. You know, I, I don't want to be a rock star guitar player. You know, at the front of the stage, jumping about, playing a million notes. But thinking about um, guitar being an important part of the early stuff. Um, the slide break on that song doesn't come until halfway through the song, whereas uh, Mick Abraham's original slide part was nearer to the beginning of the song. Um, that's almost incidental, but I found a reference to you playing that song on the Jolly Halliday show in France. So did you actually play it regularly then in, in the early days? Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's a technical thing. that The original song's an open tuning. Right. Um, so uh, I play it with concert tuning, so it's it's the bulk of the song sure. doesn't lend itself to being played on slide. Right. But I have done it going back to the original tuning, uh, and then I play it all on slide. So it's purely uh, a practical thing. The way I tune the guitar, and I didn't want to have a separate guitar. You know, I, I don't want to pick up different guitars. Um, so it's, it's it's a compromise. But but I like the fact that. The, you know, I changed the riff a little bit. Yes. And, and, and I wrote that when I was, we were in Tull. So I just sort of rearranged it for a thing for a TV show. Good stuff. Now, we've, we've talked about your arrangements, but what about um, 
Dan Crisp's interpretive singing and phrasing. How much room did you give him for, on the whole new project? Yeah, well, I, I give him all the room he needs because um, the, there's no, you know, I, I don't lay down any ground rules uh, because I, I want him to be himself. I want him to really love and enjoy what he what he plays, which he does. You know, I, I don't want to tell people what I think they should be playing no. unless this really goes against the grain. Okay. But yeah, I mean, occasionally I just think, well, Danny, you know, it's a really important melody line. You probably, you know, the fans all know it. You probably need to do it. But essentially, it's very rare that that happens. And I just l l leave him. He does his job great. So leave him alone. Well, let's play an example of, of what he does so well. This is uh, Steel Monkey. Martin Barton, Steel Monkey from 50 Years of Jethro Tull. Great track, Martin, which again you've completely transformed from the keyboard-led original. Now, having said that, I read that Crest of the Night was uh, uh, one of your favourite albums. Well, were you um, collectively surprised at that album's success, especially the fact it won a Grammy? <laughs> well, I, I was surprised that we had anything to do with Grammy. Yeah. But, but uh, I, I liked the album. It, I was very proud of it because essentially it was me, Ian and Dave Pegg recorded the whole album, just the three of us. So we, we had a, a lot to do, a lot of work, a lot of input, a lot of ideas, like a big thing before. But particularly in that album, there's there's a lot of guitar, I enjoyed playing it. So yeah, I, I was pleased with what I'd, I'd done, I was proud of it. So the Grammy was the sort of cream on the cake, you know, to, to have that recognition for recording a good album, a great album, I guess. Uh, I, I think we deserved it. I think it was the right thing to happen. Were you, did you ever find the late 80s a difficult time for you as a guitar player, given the fact that the musical direction was increasingly going more towards keyboard, a keyboard flavoured sound? Yeah, no, no, nothing's ever worried me at all. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like you said earlier, I, I never followed trends no. with guitar players. So uh, it, it didn't bother me in the slightest. Um, no, you know, a, a, a guitar c can be a supporting instrument. It, you know, and I think it was Steve Lukather who said he, he made more of a living playing rhythm guitar than he did lead guitar. In sessions, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a side of the guitar that sort of, um, sort of underrated, uh, but it's really as vital as anything. Going back to uh, an early theme we, we were talking about, which was of uh, Tull exploring new and exciting music, did the, uh, did the band collectively feel the same sort of deflation then that, that Ian would have done when critics actually panned passion play? After all, you were an important part of the arrangements by then. Or, or did Ian sort of take it all on his own shoulders by refusing to talk to the press at the time? Well, I think he just got overblown, out, yeah, totally out of proportion by the management. You know that, that they put it to the press that we were, you know, that we were really devastated. You know, essentially we took it on the chin, yeah. and, and we've never ever expected everybody to love everything we do, because if if, if that was the the agenda, 
every album would sound the same. You know, it would be a Aqualung two, Aqualung three. You know, give the people what they've already liked. No, <laughs> we never did it. No, we so experimented. I think, um, but there was some kind of a disconnect even before that with, when, when you put out Thick as a Brick because the, I, I clearly remember that uh, both the album and the tour was warmly embraced by the fans but the, the press weren't that, well they, they called it an overblown concert album but I guess you, yeah, you took it on the chin, I think you've answered that anyway. Yeah, I mean it never affected us, uh, the Thick as a Brick was a huge success. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Play. So, they didn't like it as much, but you know we 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 carried on at the same level. So um, it's it's been said one of the reasons for Jethro Tull's durability has been the way that they change their musical direction, which is true through blues, jazz, folk rock, hard rock, and even electronica. Do you see an irony then in the fact that years later you viewed the band as going through the motions? Oh, uh, in terms of playing the same set list, the same. Yeah, but that's a different thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I always want change, and and there wasn't enough change. You know, we we the frustration I had is that we had the financial ability to change the show, to change the production, uh, do a lot more. I think I think it just got a little stale. You know, that the, the fire had, had gone out a little bit. And, and I didn't like that because uh, I, I, I don't do that. Right, <laughs> I right. do 100%. So it, it was frustrating. I, I wanted to do a lot more and bring a lot more to the production and the music side of Toll. But uh, you know, so maybe when it finished, it was it was a, a good time to finish things. Now you called Jeff Toll your own musical heritage. Uh, but was there a point when you thought it, it stopped being abandoned, become more of a vehicle for Ian himself? Who, after all, was always the personification of the band. Yeah, it, it, it maybe it, it didn't. It didn't really bother me because I'm, you know, I'm, I don't have pretensions of being a star. So you know, my ego uh, was never hurt because it didn't exist. And and maybe you know, maybe it got biased for Zine. But you've got to remember that at the very beginning, uh, that Ian's image really sold the band. It, it pulled us out of that huge pile of music that was going over to America, around the world, playing tours in England, you know, because it was the band with a sort of crazy flute player. Yeah, 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 of so course. So you can't downgrade that. It, it, yeah. Ian is, is a vital part of Tull's history, uh, and there's no, you know, it's no less than that. Okay. Uh, I'm going to play two more tracks before we go. Here's the first one. This is called Teacher. That was Martin Baum, my guest on the Pete Fiends show feature tonight for Get Ready to Rock Radio and a track called Teacher, which is actually released as a single uh, and now reinterpreted on the 50 Years of Jethro Tull album on the store from music label. Uh, there's always been a thumping bass line on that track, but you brought your guitar into the front of the mix, which gives it a fresh vitality, which, which you could say for the whole of this album, really. Um, my, my question, question I want to ask you is this. You, you said about the new album that I wanted to create a different band, one playing the true music of Jethro Tull, but with my take and my way of playing it. Um, what do you mean then by the true music of Jethro Tull? Because after all, once you've got a 50-year history behind you, there's plenty of room for debate about 
What is the two Jeff Hotel music, I suppose? Yeah, it, it's, it's just the essence, you know, I, I, and, and I can't describe it, I can't put it in a can and sell it, but the essence of Jeff Hotel was fi 50 years of trying different music, of improving, it's, it's just like a, a, a boiling pot of, of ingredients. Uh, and I've always wanted to keep that alive, uh, and I, I can't describe it. I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't replicate it. But I understand it. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm sure that Ian's the same. You know, he's such a big part of that history, and uh, I, I respect it. And I, I want that respect to show through. But I want it to be vibrant and dynamic, and to to, to rock. You know, for want of a, a different word, I want to go on stage. And the audience, I, I want to just, you know, lift them off the seats. So I guess, um, g given the uh, current hiatus with with coronavirus, uh, you've already planned ahead, as we we've spoken about for Aqualung next year. So mm. presumably, what you you'll go back to your own career, solo career. I mean, in two thousand and twenty-two, is that is that the problem, or aren't you thinking that far ahead yet? Well, I think most people are thinking 2022 and, you know, but, but anything in 2021 is going to be, if it's not financially viable, it's going to be so different. It's not going to be normal at all. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't think anybody know. I haven't read anything by anybody that can define what's going to happen in music. Uh, I, I know the numbers. I know that theatres need to be 60, 70 percent full to break even. Um I, I don't. I don't know, but but I think 2021 might be pushing it. Right. Personally, but but I'll, I'll be there the second I can play again. I'll be there. <laughs> I'm not going to hold back. Well, Martin, it's been my absolute pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate this. And uh, just before we go, um, can you give me your social media links so people can check check out the album anyway? And, and what yeah, whether you're on to. Facebook. Uh, that I'm sure that people will find me, uh, and then uh, website martinbar.com. So it's, it's it's very easy to find. Brilliant. Uh, DVD coming out for Christmas. Oh, excellent! Uh, and the four bonus tracks from the DVD. It's um, live at the Wildy, which is a gorgeous yeah. theatre near St Louis, and uh, we recorded the show in one night. Uh, and I've been working on that, the production on it. For three months, wow. so I'm really pleased with it. I think it's going to be a, a very special um, package. Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks again for being on the show. It's been fantastic. Um, let's play out with Martin Barr's version then of "Nothing Is Easy." This is taken from the 50 Years of Jethro Tull. You'll find it on the store for music label. Enjoy this track, everybody. Thanks for listening, and good night. hour or so you've been listening to martin barr chatting to pete feenstra for get ready to rock radio our thanks to martin and to pete make his interview special on a sunday a regular date when he chats to any number of movers and shakers in the blues into rock world and that's at 20 hundred gmt and you can find out more by checking out Pete's dedicated page and catch up with previous shows at our website. And 
Not forgetting Pete's Tuesday rock and blues show starting a five-hour blues rock marathon. Tuesday is Blues Day. Again, you can listen to previous shows and check out all the playlists at GetReadyToRockRadio.com. From all of us here at Get Ready To Rock Radio, thank you for listening.